there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one seminal page of Talmud every day. Ever wondered what the Talmud was really about? Naturally, it's about many things. Everything, really, being as it is the compendium of all of Jewish law. But if I was pressed to answer briefly what this magical book truly had in store for its modern readers, I would say this. It's a self-help book, really, the best manual ever written on how to live. And nowhere, maybe, is this idea captured more succinctly and playfully than in today's page, Ketubot 34. Have a listen. With regard to one who cooks on Shabbat, if he did so unwittingly, he may eat the food he cooked. If he did so intentionally, he may not eat it at all. This is the statement of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda says, if he cooked unwittingly, he may eat at the conclusion of Shabbat, as the sages penalized even one who sinned unwittingly in that they prohibited him from deriving immediate benefit from the dish that he cooked. If he sinned intentionally, he may not eat from it ever. To decipher this exchange, it helps to know a thing or two about these two miraculous men, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. They both lived in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, in the 2nd century CE, a time of great upheaval and suffering for the Jews. Bar Kokhva's famous rebellion against the Romans had just failed, bringing Jewish sovereignty in the promised land to an end for nearly 2,000 years until the establishment of the modern state of Israel in 1948. The famous Rabbi Akiva, the superstar sage and scholar who anointed Bar Kokhva as the Messiah, was tortured to death. Jerusalem was destroyed and replaced with a Roman garrison town called Ilia Capitolina. All Jewish religious observance was banned. In short, not a great time to be a rabbi. In fact, the worst time ever in history to be a rabbi because the Romans decreed that semicha, or the appointment of rabbis, is an offense punishable by death. But one rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba, would hear none of it. Without spiritual leaders, he realized, the Jewish people won't survive very long. So he hurried to a valley in the Galilee and summoned five of Rabbi Akiva's most brilliant students, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Yehuda. He appointed them all rabbis, and for his troubles, he was immediately killed. Which, naturally, left the five guys he'd just ordained with a heck of a burden to live up to. They centered their activity in the Galilee. And like so many Jews before and after them, they had to grapple with one seminal question. How to continue and preserve the ancient tradition, even as circumstances seemed particularly dire. How to carry on living when hope was in short supply. How to continue and build and rebuild when everything around seemed irreparably broken. We'll talk about Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yossi, all marvelous men, some other time. Today, let's focus on our two main stars, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda. The former was always shrouded in mystery. Where did he come from? No one knows. Some say he was a direct descendant of the mad Caesar Nero, who had somehow converted and found his way from Rome to the dusty desert. But this we do know for certain. He was smart. 
the smartest, a genius capable of just about everything. So much of a genius, in fact, that the Talmud in Tractate Eruvin tells us in the same breath two things. A, that Rabbi Meir was absolutely the most brilliant dude in his generation, and B, that halacha, or Jewish law, was rarely, if ever, decided according to his opinion. Why? Because he was so smart that his buddies couldn't actually understand his opinion. He was sometimes, in other words, too smart for his own good. Brilliant, but obscure. His knowledge real and valuable, and too often too ethereal to serve any real purpose here in this world. Rabbi Huda, on the other hand, well, he was his polar opposite. The greatest compliment he received from his friends was that he was chacham kishirtse, smart when he wanted to be. It may sound pretty backhanded to our ears, but compared to his pal Meir, it was great praise. It meant that Rabbi Yehuda had something even more valuable than a burning dedication to study and a beautiful mind. He had the ability to live here in this world, acknowledge real-world concerns, and come up with rulings that people could actually follow and understand. Knowing all that, let's go back and compare these two responses. Rabbi Meir speaks in blacks and whites. Rabbi Meir speaks in absolutes. If a person cooked food on Shabbat unwittingly, he may eat it. If on purpose, he may not eat it. End of story. Black and white. Why? What's the logic here? Rabbi Meir doesn't say. But Rabbi Yehuda does. It is our tradition, he tells us. The sages teach us that intentionality matters, but so do consequences. So if you sinned unwittingly, you shouldn't be able to derive immediate benefit from your actions. Eventually, you'll taste the food, but just not right away, because you shouldn't get used to being rewarded for messing up, even if you didn't mess up on purpose. It makes perfect sense. You hardly have to be a Talmudic sage to understand the clear and concise logic of Rabbi Yehuda's teaching. He speaks in a language anyone can understand. Sadly, most experts these days don't. Look anywhere where experts congregate. College classrooms, cable news studios, bestseller lists, and you'll see the best minds of our generation insisting we take their word for it. Ask too many questions, and you'll soon be called a rube, a dummy, a denier of the elusive truths readily available to those with a proper training and accreditation, but out of the reach of us huddled masses. Try having a conversation about any meaningful subject. American history, say, or epidemiology, or income inequality, or human biology. And if the person you're talking to has a PhD or some such position of power and knowledge, it will likely not take them very long to shut down the conversation simply by saying, hush, bub, I'm the expert here. Now look, you can't really blame them. Modern meritocracy rewards expertise handsomely. The more you can convince others that you and you alone possess some sparkling insight into the order and nature of things, the more likely you are to be remunerated and revered, trusted and loved, hailed and obeyed. And the more hailed and obeyed you are, the more likely you are to feel that you deserve all this adulation. After all, you are the expert, aren't you? You did study for years, and you do know more, so much more, than so many of these people who argue with you and are just too dull or lazy to understand the complexities that you see by virtue of your radiant expertise. That's all true. Knowledge and learning matter a lot. 
But as Rabbi Yehuda knew so well, none of it matters if no one is listening. Grow too obscure, too aloof, too detached, and eventually you lose people's trust. Evoke the expert card too frequently, and people will soon just walk away from you. But take a moment to explain things in plain English, and know when to be smart and when to simply be approachable. And you'll be a leader who is both revered and respected, which, Lord knows, is the sort of leader we so direly need today. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Rusquet and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Scaramuccia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic and we will see you again soon. Soon.